Father in heaven, thank you for this new day, and I pray for your Holy Spirit. I pray that we can make this message so clear and simple that we'll go out of here rejoicing because we've been set free. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today's title is The Truth. Jesus is the truth. Monday and Tuesday, Jesus is the way. He is your justification. He is your sanctification. He is also the truth, and the truth is that Satan is defeated. Satan has been defeated. Amen. Okay? Amen. This is Zoe. Zoe is my niece's youngest daughter. She is 10. She is athletic. She loves to play football. Her favorite team is the Green Bay Packers, and she is the only girl on her team's foot, or on her school's football team. She plays tackle football. And she, I think she's a receiver because I went to practice one time. I saw her, her coach said, run out. And so she ran out and she caught the ball and she made it. She made a touchdown. But this is Zoe, okay? Now, this is Danielle. Danielle is her older sister by 11 months and three days. Danielle is a girly girl. Danielle loves music and she loves dance and she loves talent shows and she loves dresses. Zoe does not like dresses. Now, typically they get along really fine. They, I mean, they're, they're close, they love each other, but sometimes it doesn't always go smoothly. And they got into a little squabble. And so Danielle told Zoe to stop doing whatever she was doing. And, De and Zoe answered like this. You're not the boss of me. Have you heard that? Heard kids say that? You're not the boss of me. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't, we, don't we sometimes feel that, you know, towards someone else who tries to bully us or someone who's being bossy, well, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to do what you tell me. Well, that's kind of what we need to say to the devil. You're not the boss of me anymore, right? So in the morning, this is how we, this is how we tell him that he's not the boss of you. In the morning, you say, Lord, in the morning, I will direct my prayer unto you. So in the morning, you get up, you say, you will hear my voice ascending high. That's how you receive power to say no, that you are not the boss of me. Satan is defeated, and I like that idea. He has no more authority over you. Scripture says in Hebrews 2.14 that Christ took on human nature, human nature, our nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. Through death, Jesus destroyed the power of the devil. He did it back then, which means that it's not alive anymore, right, if it's been destroyed. 1 John 3, 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And another one, Desire of Ages, page 311, says this. The plan of redemption contemplates, <coughs> contemplates what? Our complete recovery from the power of Satan. 
Christ always separates the contrite soul from sin. Now, back to my illustration. Christ came that he might destroy the work of the devil. He always separates the contrite soul from sin. How does he do that? By taking your sins upon himself. The Father, it was his good pleasure to lay upon the Son the sins of the world. Why? Because of love. So if the power of the devil is crushed, then where does that leave us? Liberated. Liberated. We're set free from that. And we need, to re- we need to accept that. We need to grasp it. We've been set free. Continuing, he came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has made provision that the Holy Spirit shall be imparted to every repentant soul to do what? To keep him from sinning. Now, I'm going to throw out this word that some people do not like to hear. It's called being made perfect in Christ. Some people gasp. Well, that's never going to happen. It's impossible. What what does it say here? He has made provision that through whom? The Holy Spirit shall be imparted, given to keep us from sinning. Now, if we do away with the Holy Spirit, what hope do we have? None. None. Okay. Luke 10, 19. Now, listen to this one. Behold, I give you the authority. Who's Jesus talking to? And to his disciples, right? To trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. We've been given power and authority over the devil and over his power. Through whom? Jesus Christ. Christ. And the Holy Spirit that keeps us from sinning. Now let me explain this. I'm not saying that Mr. Tempter comes to me and he tempts me to eat a Snickers bar. And so I just stand my ground and I say, you're not the boss of me. Is that how it works? Absolutely not. It's through Jesus Christ. He's the one through the Holy Spirit that keeps me from sinning. Jed talked about the power of choice yesterday. When I see a Snickers bar, which I have to confess is a weakness of mine, when I see them and they have those jumbo sizes that have two in there, I usually buy one so we can share, but I know he's not going to eat it. I have a choice to make. The Holy Spirit reminds me that, you know what? Your health is really important right now. Make a good decision. See? I, that's right. You can choose not to. So, you're hearing that voice behind you, like we read yesterday? Well, it's here. <laughs> it's here. Okay, so, if Satan is defeated, why is he able to cause so much trouble? Have you guys thought that? Man, well, let's take a look. I, I thought this was so cool. Job 38:11 says, This far you may go and no farther. I think God has put him on a leash. You know those retractable ones? can go out a little bit, but I'm holding it. This far you can go and no farther. 
God allows him to test us. He allows him to tempt us. But who's in control of the leash? Praise the Lord, right? Oh, yes. But the good thing is, is he has left it up to us to enforce that, that previous decision. That final, um, what is it? When you're in court, you have this verdict. verdict. Yes, the final verdict. Out of mind, character, and personality, page 24, it says, God has given us sustaining grace through the merits of Christ sufficient to withstand Satan and to be more than conquerors. So, how much is given to you? Sufficient. What does that mean? It take, it's enough to take care of business. Sufficient is enough to take care of business. Not more than, not less than, but sufficient. He's given us sufficient grace, right? Grace, that word, that means something we don't deserve, something we can't earn, but it's given to us, and enough of it. I've translated the word grace into power. Power, yes. Sufficient to withstand Satan and be more than conquerors. I like this text in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that, that it is through... I forget it now. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's like he says, I love it when you're weak because then I am strong. Okay, he needs to be strong in us, working through us. Sanctification is that union of humanity and divinity working together for your salvation. Not that you earn it, you already have it, but for your fitness for the kingdom. He is a bully. Uh, what is, what's the bully's job? Intimidation, right? Yeah. I worked in a, a GED lab. I'll tell more stories tomorrow, I think. I'll tell you what. I came from a Christian school, a bubble of protection. We had this atmosphere that we controlled. We knew what everybody was supposed to think, listen to, eat, and how they were supposed to dress. And now I am in this public school system with at-risk teens. I now have gangsters. I have felons. I have pregnant teenagers. I have drug deals in my classroom. In my first day, I'm there by myself, and in walks my bad boys, okay? So they walk in, they're holding up their pants, they've got their hoodies over their head, they're walking in, and they're dogging this teacher, this white, woman, older, middle-aged woman. And I'll tell you what, I was totally intimidated by these boys. And I'll tell you how I got over that tomorrow. They like to annoy you, right? They want to break down your wall of resistance. They want to get you to the point where, you know, you, if you look directly into their eyes, it's almost like they've got control over you. They say, don't look into the eyes of a lion. Well, for a reason. I found this. I thought it was kind of cool. It takes forever to find yourself, but it only takes one second to forget who you are. Mm. 
He's a bully. He wants to intimidate you. He wants you to forget who you are. You have a little purple card on there to remind you who you are in Christ. He wants you to doubt your kinship with Jesus. What is his relation to you? What does the Bible say? What is Christ's relationship to you? What does it say? He's a shepherd, a friend, but he's your brother, a joint heir with Christ. Yes. And he wants you to forget that relationship. See, we tend to, for many years, I tended, that's not the right word. I kind of separated myself in terms of relationship that there's the father and he's way up there and I know that I cannot approach him but then there's Jesus and and yes Jesus loves me this I know but still there's that it's like I I didn't think I could have a connection a living connection with him nobody taught me how to have that so it takes forever to find yourself but only a second to forget who you are. He did this with Jesus, as Jed mentioned the other day. When Jesus was baptized, Jesus heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He had his, his identity made known, but he also had this sense of assurance. I am well pleased. Wouldn't you love to have the Father say that about you? This is my beloved son, my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. You have made me proud, and I beam over you. I rejoice over you with singing. Do you believe that? We have to. We have to remind ourselves of these things, don't we? He said, if you are the son of God... And he says that to us. If you are the daughter of God, then why did you blow it so miserably? If you supposedly have authority over me now and you could trample on me, then how come you're acting like that? How do we respond? If you're like me, sometimes I kind of end up in a puddle because he intimidates you. And yes, he's telling you the truth. But we've got to remember who we are in Christ and who he is and that we are his child. And he's not going to leave us to his hands. Luke twenty-two sixty-seven. tell us if you be the Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus said, if I tell you, you won't believe. So what can we do? We need to know our identity. I did not have the privilege of knowing my father. My mom married him. She was 16. She and her friend went down on the um, Willamette River during the Rose Festival time in Portland, Oregon. The naval ships would come in and dock there. And so the sailors and Marines and all the, you know, sea vesseling military went there, Coast Guard. And my mother met this handsome sailor. He was tall, he had red hair and freckles and blue eyes, and she was just smitten. And so my mother and her friend made it their civil duty to kiss the sailors goodbye as they disembarked. Well, she ended up marrying this guy, but I never knew him. He left my mother when she was pregnant with me, and he did not know about me. 
So I grew up, this is me here on the tricycle, I grew up not knowing who my daddy was. I've had four dads. Dad number two was abusive to my mother. Dad number three ended up in a penitentiary. And dad number four is who I call my dad today. I adopted him, you know. Yep, I took his last name. But these Bible verses here, these are really important to me personally. And I hope that if you have, you know, a similar situation, they'll be important to you too. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before you were born, I knew you. Excuse the typos in there. Before I was born, he knew me, and he called me by my name. And he says, you are mine, says the Lord. And the next one here says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my daughter, says the Lord Almighty. Don't worry about an earthly father if you don't have one. You have a heavenly father. Psalm 2710 and John 1627 together says, When my father forsakes me, then the Lord will take care of me. For the father himself loves me. The father himself loves me. That was really um, an eye-opener for me. Because you always hear Jesus loves you, but what about the father? The father himself loves you. It was the father in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He wasn't just up there saying, well, I hope this ends soon. I can't stand the misery. No, he was all in, all in. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. I grew up insecure. I was a skinny little girl. I think I've got a picture of a skinny little girl. Oh, no, I'll go here. Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Growing up, thinking, I have no value. I'm just a skinny little girl here, going to school, no friends. My mother used to cut my hair like this. Tell me if you, tell me if you know the name of this haircut. <laughs> Straight? Nope, it wasn't. A, down and around. A Dutch boy. Anybody hear a Dutch boy haircut? And I had to wear saddle shoes with a thick sole because my mom couldn't afford to buy me shoes. I wanted those nice patent leather shoes, but I always wore a hole in the toe. So I had to wear those, you know, thick-soled shoes. And I had to wear stirrup pants, those stretchy kind, but I didn't have a waist. They kept falling down. But this is me, my identity. I was... I was every bully's friend. I was called Dumb Deweese when I was in school because I couldn't do anything right. You know, they always played games at school and everybody had to participate when your class was out there. You know how they choose sides? Oh, yeah. yeah line up. Yeah. Line up. I'll take you, 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 you. Oh, it's Deweese. She's the last one. All right, come on over, Deweese. Well, there's a song that I really like. It kind of encapsulates this experience of mine. It says, um, down on the schoolyard, they were choosing up sides, and one child stood there with tears in her eyes. I'm making it personal. She'd been here before, and somehow she knew she'd still be standing when the choosing was through. 
But from up in the heaven, the father looked down and he saw what happened down there on the ground. And his angels rejoiced as he said to his son, watch what I do with that one. For the last to be chosen are the first he will call. And what he does through them will amaze one and all. It won't be the hero who carries the ball. The last to be chosen are the first he will call. So, you know, God took me from this skinny little girl, wallflower. Nobody likes me. I'm going to be the last one here. Can't do anything right. To going out in the middle of the ball field well, as they played kickball and I hated kickball they always put me way out there because they knew I wouldn't do anything so fat Timmy comes up everybody says fat Timmy's up let's back up back up and then so they roll the ball and fat Timmy runs and his fat jiggles you know and he just lodges it pool goes way out and I'm standing there like oh the ball's coming toward me and I just went like this and thump. I caught the ball and for just a few moments I was a hero but it didn't last <laughs> so growing up see my mask this is Halloween I never wanted a scary mask I wanted a pretty mask I wanted to be pretty I wanted to be special so I'd hide behind a mask God did not forsake me he says I know the plans I have for you and he took this shy insecure do nothing right little girl that was skinny at one time <laughs> and I've changed <laughs> we're doing seminars and we're sharing our story with hundreds of people All right. I stood in front of thousands of people in the Philippines and preached an evangelistic series right. not the whole series just you know a couple meetings but I couldn't he, I couldn't have done that but what can he do with you who are you what is your identity? Okay, here's my identity. I am complete in him. Amen. Colossians 2.10. Anyone else complete? If you're complete, what's missing? Nada, right? I am greatly loved. Ephesians 2.4. I am precious. Isaiah 43.4. I am his friend. John 15, 5. I am more than conqueror through him. Romans 8, 37. I am a child of the king, a joint heir with Christ. John 1, 12. Romans 8, 17. The events in early childhood affect who we become as adults. Is this true or false? True. But we don't have to stay that way. Amen. True or false? We were working in a, a foster care facility. We were, it was a, um, like a, not in a home, but it was like a group home thing. And we dealt with teenage girls, terribly traumatized girls. And I listened in on one of their um, counseling sessions. Now, I don't know if anyone here has mental health counseling background. Anybody here? Okay. All right, so some of, you have, some of you have a background in this, and I don't understand your methods. But I do know this. When they were counseling with one of these girls, 16-year-old, she had to go back and remember everything again. Every time they had a counseling session, 
they had to go over the same material. So I asked the counselor, she had a master's degree or something, doctorate, she was a doctorate. I said, will these girls ever be able to move on, move past, and live a normal life? She says, no, they won't. I disagree with that. I think the power of God can renew the mind, and He can change the circumstances and make you something precious. So you don't have to relive and be that that person who was traumatized. You're going to remember. You're not going to forget your past. But you can move on. That's right. You can. Satan's most effective weapons. Do you guys know what they are? Don't tell me because I'm going to tell you. Okay. Once upon a time, the devil decided to have a garage sale. Okay. He did it because he wanted to clear out some of his old tools and make room for some new ones. So he puts these price tags on. And a gentleman came in and he looked at the different things and arranged on the table were the best tools of the devil's trade, though worn with age. So criticism had a price tag of $250 on it. And then next to it was this curved cutting tool, kind of like sharp, real sharp. And it was labeled bitterness, $500. And other tools were labeled and priced according to their worth. But in the corner, this man saw a tool that was very well worn. And it was almost rusty. And the handle was kind of worn down. And he says, uh, hey, is this price right? There was a tag on it that said $12,000 for this tool. And he says, wait a minute. How come this tool is so much And devil says, well, because this one is discouragement, and it's my best tool, my most effective tool, discouragement. Criticism. So the best tool is what? Discouragement. How do we get discouraged? Through criticism. Criticism hurts. I'm guilty of it. My tongue can be harsh and critical. I may not mean it to be that way, but it comes out that way. Criticism hurts, especially for children. I was criticized often, not so much by my mother, but by my schoolmates, by my brothers. Criticism hurts. And you've heard that sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words can never hurt me? That's false. They hurt, right? Now, critical words tear through the heart, leaving a gaping wound that takes years sometimes to heal. You grow up with it. You live with it. It's a constant nag to you, criticism. You start believing what you're hearing about yourself. That's why it's so um, effective, I guess. It wears out the life forces, where it breaks down your confidence. And then if you have no confidence, of course not in yourself, but, but you just feel like you're, you're a nothing, then that's when he can just like snap you right up, right? Okay. 
Colossians 4, 6. Here's the remedy. This says Jody. It's directed to me, Jody. Let your words be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you know what properties salt has? I mean, what's it good for anyway? What does it do? It's a pre preservation, right? Flavoring. And cleanses. Let your words preserve. Let your words cleanse. What else? What happens if you put salt in a wound? It stings. Do our words need to sting sometime? Not in a critical way. You know, this jacket is really doesn't go with your pants. You bought it for me. <laughs> but, but sometimes our words need to sting so that we can preserve, right? Don't they rub some of you folks who are I never did this, but my grandfather used to take salt and rub it on meat. Man, that would hurt. Take it and grind it in. It's not this fine, refined salt, but it was really coarse salt. But it was to preserve it, and sometimes it hurts to preserve. Okay? But we don't have to mean our words to be hurtful. You know what I mean, the difference there? Okay. Bitterness and resentment defile. Bitterness and resentment. Now, Hebrews 12, 14 says, See to it, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. A bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Resentment, this root that grows, excuse me, and it, it causes trouble. Here, these roots, they go down deep. This is Grandpa, Jed's dad. Now, he lived with us for about four years. I took care of him. When he came to live with us after Jed's mother died, he was walking. But then shortly thereafter, he ended up paralyzed. He had a, a tumor that metastasized on his spine that left him paralyzed. So I was his care provider. I was 23 years old. I had, my daughter was just very young. I learned how to take care of decubit eye ulcers. I learned how to transport from bed to a chair, how to get him into this Hoyer lift and move him around and give him his, well, make him go to the bathroom, take care of his catheters. I was a practical nurse taking care of my father-in-law. And it was 24-7 at his beck and call. I had to make sure his food was right. He was also diabetic. He had emphysema. So, you know, there was all kinds of stuff that I had to be responsible for. And so, how am I starting to feel about my freedom? I don't have any anymore. One time, I wanted to get away for the weekend. And so we made arrangements to go to visit my parents across the mountain. And I made arrangements for someone to came in and stay with George, and it was a young man that George liked well, and, and so I tucked him in. We told him ahead of time, so this was not a surprise. He seemed to be fine with it. You know how when people seem to be fine with something and then all of a sudden it blows up in your face? Well, this is what happened. Every night I would tuck Grandpa in. I called him Grandpa, and I'd kiss him goodnight on the forehead. I, I did that. I said, Grandpa, tomorrow we're going to leave, go over to Yakima. So remember, Tim's going to come over and take care of you. 
and boy did he let me have it. I'm your responsibility. I pay you, the state pays you, you shouldn't be able to leave me with anybody and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm going to share this verse tomorrow, so don't hold it against me if I tell it to you now. But in the book of Psalms, David recounts this experience that he had. It says something like, the, the fire burned within me. And as I mused and I thought upon the situation, it just built, 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 built. And then I spake with my tongue. Have you had that experience? Yeah. It's like this volcano inside. That's what happened to me. And I said this to him. Now, normally I'm not disrespectful to my elders, but I said, you are a selfish old man. And oh my word, I had this bolt of lightning that came down from heaven and just cut right through my words. And conviction came to me that, no, Jody, George does not know me. You do, and that was wrong. And I fled to my room, and I fell across my bed, and I wept, and I wept, and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he said this. In a, we're talking about that voice in your head, right? He said this. What you are experiencing is resentment. R-E-S-E-N-T-M-E-N-T. -E -E resentment. Resentment is sin, Jody. But... We can do something about it. Okay, he doesn't leave us. But sometimes he spells it out for us. Sometimes he allows us to make a terrible mistake so he can teach us the problem. The problem was not George. The problem was deeper. I had a root of bitterness that had been growing. And he wanted me to get rid of it. He says, let's cut the tree. What is it? Take the axe to the root of the tree. Let's get rid of it. So I did. I, I submitted myself to God. I said, Lord, I don't want this. I don't like it. He wants us to see ourselves in that situation, how we look. If we had a mirror, we could see our face and what it looks like and how red it is and how angry we look and how distorted our face is so that we can say, I don't like what I see. Sin has got to become distasteful to us. And we don't want it anymore. And I'm, on my, I'm in my sanctification walk here. And I fell. But he says, that's why we're doing this. It's a work of a lifetime. You don't just get over it. So he said, now you need to go make things right. So I thought, oh, man, this is going to be hard. But I did. Humbly, I went in. And of course, my eyes are all swollen because I've been crying. And I sat down beside his bed, and I said, Grandpa, I'm so sorry, so sorry that I spoke to you the way I did. Now, I was expecting him to apologize, too. I was expecting him to, you know, throw his arms around me and we could weep together and we can have this pact that we're never going to treat each other like that again. But it didn't happen. He said, well, sis, you know, we all have a bad day every now and then. <laughs> so what happened? What's wanted to, what wanted to grow in my heart again? This, whew. but now I can make a choice. Do I want to look like that again? No. 
I had to submit that feeling, that sensation to God and let him give me love for George. And he, we did. We loved each other. He was just he was awesome. He was this old coot, they called him. Psalm 38.4 says, my, my guilt or my bitterness has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You hold on to it. It grows inside and we tend to suppress it until it eventually has to come out somehow, right? Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. The cup gets heavier the longer we hold it. And I wish I had these little cups. Some of you were here last year and you held a cup. Those little two-ounce Dixie cups that had just a smidgen of water in it. And I had everybody hold it out, extended like this. I can do this. No problem. But then pretty soon it's like this. Uh Uh-uh, straight out. It gets heavier the longer you hold it, and it becomes painful. So you've got to let go of it sometime. You might as well do it now, right? Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are ahead. Many of us know that forgiveness is a good thing, right? It, it um, frees us from bitterness, frees us from resentment, and helps our physical health, right? Lori, you know that. You teach it. Well, how come we have a hard time forgiving ourselves? The truth of the matter is, you can't forgive yourself. Some of you might disagree with me, but I've got a Bible verse that tells me that, that it's true. This is out of Steps to Christ 52. Jesus loves to have us come to him. And this is not on your outline. So Mark, Steps to Christ 62. Jesus loves to have us come to him just as we are, sinful, helpless, dependent. We may come with all our weakness, our folly, our sinfulness, and fall at his feet in penitence. How much do we have to get rid of before we fall at his feet? We're supposed to bring how much? All. Give me your heart. Don't dissect it and keep part for yourself give it all to me it is his glory his prerogative his joy to encircle us in his arms of love and to bind up our wounds he doesn't leave those wounds gaping open and to cleanse us from all impurity now I had a, one of my little girls, we were doing a week of prayer at a school, and she came up and she was crying and she confessed to me that she had committed a sexual sin. But she wanted that pure heart. She says, I can't have that pure heart. And I said, yes, you can. Christ can purify your heart. He can change your mind. The physical body, that's temporary. But he gives you back that pure heart as you walk with him. And here is where thousands fail. They do not believe that Jesus pardons them personally, individually. If you are holding on 
saying, I can't forgive myself for my past sin, then you do not believe that Jesus pardons you personally, completely. They do not take God at his word. It is the privilege of all who comply with the conditions to know for themselves that pardon is freely extended for every sin, not just the real bad ones, for every sin. Complete pardon, justification. Put away the suspicion that God's promises are not meant for you. They are for every repentant sinner. None are so sinful that they cannot find strength, purity, and righteousness in Jesus who died for them. Put it away. Remember, you gave your heart to Jesus. You surrendered to him at the cross. He took that guilt, that sin upon himself. It does not belong to you anymore. Now, you can wrestle it away. He'll give it back if you want it. But don't take it back. Don't carry it. Leave your burden at the cross. And then walk with Jesus. Hebrews 9.14 The blood of Christ through the eternal spirit will purge our consciences from acts that lead to death. This is not on your outline. Get used to it. We're going to add stuff. It may not be on your outline. Add it. What does he do? What does the blood of Christ combined with the Spirit do? What does purge mean? Expunge to wipe out. Purged. It's out. What does he purge? Your conscience. Your conscience. Now your conscience is tender to the Spirit of God. When those thoughts of your past come back, and they will, you just say this. You're right, old devil, I did that. And I have repented of that sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ has purged my conscience from all guilt. I carry no more stain upon my character. If you want to talk further about it, you take it up with my Father Amen. in heaven. Amen. That's your response. Don't, don't submit yourself to his suggestions. I've got that on tomorrow, so. Yes, ma'am. For many, many years, I thought that was myself telling me that. And it wasn't until I real, as an Adventist, I learned that it was the devil that was putting those thoughts in my head. And it, I was an Adventist for a long time before I really grasped that. That, it, it, that wasn't my, me saying that. That was the devil saying that. Then I had the option to kick him out. Amen. That's it. Recognize whose voice you're listening to. Okay, another one is doubt and fear. So I've got to run through here. And my husband's going to start telling me to watch the clock. <laughs> Testimonies, Volume 4, page 116. <coughs> Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. Do you want your faith to grow? How many of you want your faith to grow? How many of you are willing to grow it through doubt and fear? Earnest conflicts. Hmm? I don't know. I'm going to think about that one. But that's how it grows, with doubt and fear. Now, did any of the uh, prophets and kings and men of faith wrestle with doubt and fear? This is out of Prophets and Kings, page 162. 
into the experience of all. There come times of keen disappointment and utter discouragement. It is then that many lose their hold on God and are brought into the slavery of doubt. Notice the word there, slavery to doubt. You just obey it whenever it comes. It suggests to you, you go, okay, well, I guess that's the way it is. No. Christian education, page 112. But they, the followers of Christ, can make advancement only through conflict. What's the conflict between? Truth and error. Truth and error. What else? Yes, what else? Christ and Satan. Yes, what else? We talked about it yesterday. Your old man. Your old man, yes. The spirit, the flesh and the spirit through conflict because we have to continually crucify the old man. Put it to death. Kill it. When it comes, put it to death. Choose to put it to death. For there is an enemy that ever contends against them. What does he do? Presenting temptations to cause the soul to doubt and sin. If we doubt that God loves us, that he has our best interest in mind, that he is with us, he'll never leave us, then that puts us out here by ourselves and easy prey. That's what he wants. He doesn't show himself to you as a monster that says, come with me, little girl. He comes to you with all these suggestions in your mind. That's why nobody here has this problem. But if you're filling your mind with garbage, put it away. Christ needs to take residence here. Amen. Okay? This is me. I'm just going to tell sh shortly. I, this is my, my darling little baby girl, Beth. Over in the corner. She came just so she could see what pictures I put up here. <clears throat> she was about 16 months old, and I found out I was pregnant, but I had an ectopic pregnancy. And I lost the baby. I nearly lost my life because I was hemorrhaging. The, the tube ruptured, and I was hemorrhaging. So I made it through that experience. I still had my baby at home, but I longed to have another child, and it just wasn't happening. So I started claiming these promises here. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So my faith is being exercised. I'm claiming promises like I was taught to do. Okay? Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And what is the promise? He shall bring, he shall bring it to pass. So I claim that promise. And I went to a doctor, and I asked, you know, I said, so how come... You know, I'm not able to get pregnant again. He says, well, Talia, without hemorrhaging, you have all this kind of tissue damage, and women who experience this rarely ever get pregnant again. So I looked at him, and I said, wow, I serve a big God. And he doesn't love me any more than he loves Sarah. And if he can perform a miracle on a barren woman at 99 years old, he can perform one on me who's not quite that old. And so I went home, and in, I just I knew he was going to give me another baby. And I got pregnant again. And I was just like, whoa, God is real. 
He answered my prayer. But it was a second ectopic pregnancy. So now, what's the old devil doing? He's taking advantage of my weakness, well, causing me to doubt and fear, and putting these suggestions in my mind. God does not love you. See, you gave your heart to him. You claimed his word. His word means nothing. Look at you. You're all cut open and you're sore. You can't move. He just had an operation and it's done. You'll never have a baby again. So I'm feeling it. He gets you at your weakest point physically, emotionally. I was exhausted. And of course, I had these questions in my mind. I don't get it, God. I don't get it. I don't understand. And we won't understand everything that comes to us and why it comes. But faith has to reach out. When overwhelmed with the clouds of darkness, we must choose to believe. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And even if he does not deliver us from the fire, O king, we will not bow down to you. Amen. So the nurse told me I could get in the shower. Why don't you get up and get a shower? Oh, I don't want to. You know how it is. You just, yeah. <laughs> you're down. You're depressed. I was. So I'm in the shower, and it's all steamy hot. And this thought comes into my mind. The Holy Spirit speaks to your mind with impressions and words and love and, and comfort. He says, say that God loves me. I didn't want to because I'm wrestling with God. I don't understand. He gave it to me. He took it away. That's what I was thinking. That's what suggestions were coming in. So I said, okay, God loves me. No, if I was a teacher, no, that's not how you do it. So I said that three times. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And those clouds dissipated. My discouragement was gone. I was still in a weakened condition. I made my way back to my bed. I got my blanket up. I wanted to go to sleep. I didn't want a visitor. I wanted nobody to come and see me. I just need to sleep. I've been through a battle and I need to rest. Well, in walks the little chaplain. She looks at my, my bed, makes sure I'm who they said I was. And then she comes over by my side and she takes my hand and she's comforting me and saying, it's hard to lose a baby, isn't it? And oh my, it came right, whew, right back. See, it, it keeps coming back, but you have to continually resist through the spirit of Christ. And so I took my blanket and I covered my head. And I said, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. And then this, these words came out, and they were not my words. It was the word of God that right. said this. I have given myself to Christ, and what he wants to do with me is okay, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Now that's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking and defending you before the adversary. Mm. He does that. And it was gone. Over the years, the course of years, it had come back. But every time I had to go back and remember how I was delivered. That's what we need to do. Remember how you were delivered. 
2 Timothy 1.12, I had to say this, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. What had I committed to him? My heart. He's able to keep my heart. He's able to keep me from falling. You shall receive power, page 356. The moment, every moment is necessary to fight the good fight of faith. How long? How much? Every moment. For doubt must be resisted and faith must be encouraged. We're talking about your fitness for the kingdom. Justification happens when you receive Christ that very moment. Your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed. You have his righteousness. You begin your walk in holiness, your fitness for the kingdom. Step by step, this is the life. This is it. By default, you're in it. Okay? What is our most effective weapon against these things? Praise. Psalm 8, verse 2. For out of the mouths of babes and sucklings you have ordained strength or praise because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Praise silences the devil. You want to you get rid of him? Start praising God. He'll tuck his tail between his legs and run. This is my grandson. I love this. This is drool. That's awesome. Zamar means to sing praise. Yada means to give thanks. Halal is from hallelujah. Give praise. In all things, Paul says, in all things, praise him. Song is a weapon that we can always use against discouragement. Out of the Ministry of Healing, page 254. As we thus open the heart to the sunlight of the Savior's presence, we shall have health and his blessing. So start singing. Anybody here a singer who's not a singer? Do it anyway. Just start singing because that's, that is a weapon that you can use against the enemy. Start singing. And start singing hymns. The hymns are full of hope and there's message in the hymns. This is where we lived. This is our first snowfall, October 17th. In the UP. This is a long driveway that we have. We did not have a snowblower because we are transplants. We're not born natives of the UP. This is a mountain to me, okay? And it's wet, heavy snow. And we have to tackle it with our little plastic shovels. So what am I doing? <laughs> I'm complaining. I'm, I'm moping. I'm wishing that it would go away. But it didn't. So we had to take... This is, how, this is what I did. I started up at our, the beginning of our driveway. This is how I like to work, okay? This is, this is me working. I do one row straight. Then I go back and do the next row straight. And I keep going straight. He's at the other end. You know, just here and there, and it's just like, it's killing me to work this way. <laughs> but I am I'm complaining to the Lord about this. I'm just like, oh, this is going to take forever. And I keep looking at the long driveway. And so he just says, just, just praise me. Just take one shovel at a time. And so that's what I did. At each step going through, I repeated scripture. Yep. 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> and then, <laughs> though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. <laughs> so off it went. And you know what? Pretty soon that driveway was done. And I had peace. I did it. And I worked off calories and, you know, it was for my benefit. My attitude changed when I praised God. And I quit grumbling about the situation. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Yada, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Halal, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Sharing your testimony is a way that you defeat the enemy. What does it say in Revelation? Something about blood. And what? They overcame him by what's first? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Unto death, right? Do you guys know this song? When life's... When life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Okay, that's enough. Um, we decided, because we did stress management seminars, giving thanks is a way to reduce your stress. So we had everybody make, I gave them a jar and we put on it, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto the Lord helped us. And then I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will remember the works of the Lord, and I will remember thy wonders of old. Count your blessings. Drop them in the jar. And then... It New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve, take them out, dump them out, and read them. The whole family gets involved. Reading how God had taken care of you through the year, how he blessed you, that's going to lift your soul. That's going to defeat the enemy. Hebrews 13.5 Through Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Is it always easy to praise God? Sometimes it has to be a sacrifice of praise that we can thank him, even though he allows us to be in that situation. Why? Because we know he is with us. Because we know he is love. Because we know that it has never, ever, ever been his will that his children suffer and be in pain and be discouraged and doubt. So it's a sacrifice to praise God continually. Just shortly after my second ectopic pregnancy, I was um, rejoicing with, with another family who just announced that they were having twins. And it was, I was still open, okay? I was still hurting. And so I went outside, this is in January. Of course, in January in the Northwest, we didn't have snow like we have it here in the UP. So I went outside and there was still grass. The sky was clear, stars everywhere. And I'm just standing out there, and it's like the Lord was directing me everything to do. He said, look at the stars. 
and say thank you for the stars. Okay, thank you for these stars. Now, the air is cold. Praise me for this cold air. Thank you for this cold air, Lord. Now, get on the grass and feel the dew. I did this. Every little thing that I was impressed to do, I did it, and I praised him for that. And my, my sadness, my depression, whatever you want to call it, was calmed. Okay? We will often have to do this. It'll come back, do it again. Comes back, do it again. This is how we work with the Spirit to silence the enemy. This is what he gave us. I don't know, you couldn't see that. This is actually stars. <laughs> it's a dark night sky. Know his battle plan. So we're going to run through this quickly because I only have a few more minutes. The Great Controversy, page 518. To hold the people in darkness and impenitence until the Savior's mediation is ended and there is no longer a sacrifice for sin is the object which Satan seeks to accomplish. Did you catch that? When there is no special effort made to resist his power, when we just go ahead and go along with whatever he suggests and say, I can't help it, that's just how it is, then when, no, when indifference prevails in the church and the world, Satan is not concerned. For he is in no danger of losing those whom he is leading captive at his will. Continues, But when the attention is called to eternal things, and souls are inquiring, What must I do to be saved? He is on the ground, seeking to match his power against the power of Christ, and to counteract the influence of the Holy Spirit. If we get rid of the Holy Spirit, we're on our own. Mm. He wants to counteract the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Again, on page 531 of the Great Controversy, Satan is well aware that the weakest soul who abides in Christ is more than a match for the hosts of darkness. Who in here is weak? Me. You are more than a match. When you're on your knees for the hosts of darkness. And that should he reveal himself openly, he would be met and resisted. Therefore, he seeks to draw away the soldiers of the cross from their strong fortification. While he lies in ambush with his forces ready to destroy all who venture upon his ground. What are those strong fortifications? Here we go. Number one, faith. Two, Bible study and prayer. Witnessing, promises of God, knowing God's character, and truth. Those are our strong fortifications. And what is his ambush? Philosophy and reason to replace faith. Subtle arguments to replace Bible study and prayer. Being kept too busy to work for the master. Doubt and fear making the promises of God of none effect. Pride and self-centered, instead of revealing the character of God, of love and selflessness. A wall of resistance, replacing truth, making our own opinions more valuable than truth. What is our defense? The Great Controversy 531 again, only in humble reliance upon God and obedience to all his commandments can we be secure. 
Remember, we're, we're walking in holiness. It's our fitness. We're not walking based on our own wisdom, our own strength. We've got to do it in Him. That's why it's righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus. Justification by faith in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ Jesus. None of it is in ourselves. We're walking with him. He's working through us. He's teaching us. And as we obey, then we're secure. No man is safe for a day or an hour without prayer, especially should we entreat the Lord for wisdom to understand his word. Here are revealed the wiles of the tempter and the means by which he may be successfully resisted. Where is it? Where's, where do we find? In our word, right? We should entreat the Lord for wisdom to understand his word. Now, this is my class here. You're my class. Some of you came in late, so you didn't hear what I told my, what I tell my students in my class. You're going to memorize between now and tomorrow. John 17, 3. Write them down. John 17, 3. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'll give you an easy one. John 3, 16. What was Romans? 1, 16 and 17. I'm easy. I gave you three. John 3, 16. Now don't, don't tell me to repeat them. I can't. I forgot already. Psalm 144, 1. He says, he trains my hands for war. The question is not whether you want to enlist. You're drafted. When you received Christ, all of this comes along with it, folks. You are in this battle. You are in it. Ephesians 6, 14 says this, Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why is it a breastplate? What does it protect? What else? Your lungs. Your heart, all of those vital organs, the lung is your breathing, right? So prayer is the breath of the soul. So it protects all of that. 16, all right. In Romans 10, 10. I probably should have waited till the end to give you those memory verses. <laughs> with the heart of man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 1.17, okay, here's part of that verse. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live for, by faith. Romans 4.3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What is righteousness again? Right doing. doing right doing, right? Righteousness is believing what God has promised he will do. What has God promised? He has promised to keep you from falling. Does that mean Does that mean that he can keep you from falling? Yeah. yeah. To provide all your needs. Yeah, but 1 Corinthians 10:13 says he'll make a way of escape for you. That's right. Okay, so it's kind of a combination. That's how we work. Okay, he will provide all your needs, Philippians 4.19. That he will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 
He's promised that nothing can separate you from his love, Romans 8.38. He's promised to give you eternal life, 1 John 2.25. And he's promised that he will fight for you in Deuteronomy 3.22. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. What are his, what are his effective weapons? It's criticism, bitterness, resentment, doubt, and fear, right? Discouragement. So when he brings up your past, what are you going to do? Are you going to become a puddle? What are you going to say? You're right. I did do that. But the, you talk to them, the Lord about that. That's right. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Protect your heart. Protect those vital organs with the righteousness of Christ. It's all about him. This one, Gospel Workers, page 160. The enemy of God and man is not willing that the righteousness of Christ should be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, what will happen? His power will be broken in their lives. Remember, he has no more authority over you. How is it that his power is broken in your life? By receiving the righteousness of Christ in your own by living by faith in his righteousness, by letting him fight for you. If he can control minds so that doubt and unbelief and darkness shall compose the experience of those who claim to be the children of God, he can overcome them with temptation. So our challenge is to come unto Jesus, let him live in you, and don't fight the work of transformation. Work with him in it. So let's pray. We thank you, God, for giving us an insight into the righteousness of Christ so that the power of the devil can be broken in our lives. Help us, Lord, today to think upon these verses, to know them, to hide them in our heart so that we have an effective weapon to use against them. When we're tempted today, Lord, help us to praise. Just find something to praise the Lord for. And watch how you work through praise. And work through the scriptures and making them come alive in our experience. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.